Here we go. Leviticus chapter 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. That's another fancy word for an assembly. For they are my appointed feasts. And we're going to look at just one. Six days shall be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us uh, even now. God, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts tonight, that you would meet uh, with imperfect people. And that you would show us a perfect Christ. Lord, that you would show us our great need and our great need for a Savior. And that you would show our great Savior for our need. And so we ask this um, even now, Lord, that you would soften our hearts so that we might understand and see you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're looking at Leviticus 23, like I mentioned. And I'd like to start off by saying that this is a hugely and highly relevant text Uh, for you tonight. And here's why. You ready? Because we're all exhausted. We're all exhausted and we don't know what to do with it. You see, think about it. As I walk and talk with you guys as students, there's never been a student who has never said to me, I am so busy. I'm so tired. I don't even know if I can come to REF tonight. Um, Or I can't do this or I can't hang out with you or whatever else. One of my favorite things is to watch uh, you guys is to see you squirm when I ask you if I can meet with you and you kind of go, you kind of like clam up because you know <laughs> something has to give and you don't know what it is because you're overcommitted and the whole nine yards. Needless to say, that might be a problem. Regarding our time as well, others of you have been pulled in 12 different directions. Why? Because you've chosen to commit yourself to too many things. The result, you're fine for a while, but before long, you find yourself either exhausted or having to quit what you once committed to. You're exhausted. What about the value that you attach to your work or your school? I know I'm this way. I do it too much. I overcommit and then without fail, I always crash. I refuse to acknowledge my limits and therefore I'm exhausted. But moreover, it's not just the work itself. It's the value that I attach to that work and getting it done. If I get it done, I'm awesome. If I don't get it done, I suck. If I don't do it well... Eh, I stink. You see what I'm saying? You attach your identity to this work and doing so, ready? It's exhausting, isn't it? Because you can never do enough. There's always another test. And there's always, dadgummit, somebody smarter than you. So what do you do with that? It's exhausting. Forbes magazine says that four out of five workers experience burnout in their jobs. That's 80%. For you millennials... That uh, percentage is higher, is 86%. You're exhausted in and by your work. And it happens in the church too. People are exhausted everywhere in our churches. Why? It's a common testimony for those who are no longer in the church to say something like this. I was tired of all the religious activity that I was invited into. I was told to do this, to do that, to go to this, to go to that. Make sure you share your faith with five people a week or you might not be a Christian. I can't be perfect. I can't do enough. And so where does all this lead? One word. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. So what hope is there for us tonight? Well, 
I think that that's why we need Leviticus chapter 23 in these first few verses. Because in it, we see God giving provision for all of our exhaustion. Physical and spiritual. And what is it? Here it is. It's called rest. It's called rest. Now the Bible uses another word. It calls it Sabbath. And so tonight, we're going to look at rest. Something that all of us really need to hear about. Myself included. And we're going to look at it underneath these three toppings and these three topics, these three headings, toppings. That's hilarious. We're going to look at it under sprinkles, chocolate, and maple. Uh, but uh, we're going to look at it under these three topics. Rest as enjoyment, rest as renewal, and then rest as freedom. So let's take a look at what I mean by uh, rest as enjoyment. Before we go there, though, let me set up a little bit of a distinction you have to remember that we as human beings are both body and soul. Okay? That what makes you as a woman, what makes you as a man, that God has made you both body and soul. And so when the scriptures tonight talk about rest, it does so with both of those things in mind. It assumes them both. And so tonight it might get a little confusing in my talking. I'm talking, you might say, well, is he talking about physical rest or is he talking about soulish rest. And uh, I want to say that they are separate. Uh, they're distinct rather, but they're not separated. They go together, but that's a way of helping us being able to talk about this. And I think tonight you'll see what I mean as we go. So just hang tight. But I don't want you to think when I'm talking about resting, I mean only napping. Does that make sense? Napping's awesome. It's a great way to rest. But there's something else besides napping that the Scripture has in mind when it's talking about rest, and we'll, we'll see that. So, let's begin. Rest as enjoyment. Um, you'll see it right there in verse 3. The Scriptures say, You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in your dwelling places. Now, this is really, really interesting. The theme and topic of rest is something that's shot through the Bible. You might know if you were in our Hebrews Bible study that we read about a rest that still stands for God's people. It's pretty interesting that rest is in the New Testament as well. But if you want to know what we're to make of and how to see how rest is relevant for us today, you need to see that um, you've got to understand what it is. got to understand what rest is. And so let me spend a few minutes kind of talking about its presence, this idea of Sabbath uh, and what it is. Now, very simply from the text, it went like this. Six days you shall work, one day you, sh you shall not. And that one day is called a Sabbath or Shabbat if you're an Orthodox Jew or you grew up in an Orthodox family. It's one day out of seven where you're not to work. But where does that idea come from? Well, we have to go all the way back from, ex from uh, Leviticus, Exodus, and back into Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God is literally speaking the world into existence. I mean, after... After the six days that he creates the world and man and everything in it, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then on the sixth day, after he makes man and after he makes woman, he looks at his creation and he says, this is very good. And then it says, the seventh day God rested. Now this is really interesting when you think about it. God resting, why? Why was he having to rest? Was he like really worn out or something? Was like day six ex exceptionally hard and he was really tired or something. And no, of course that's not it. So what does that mean then when rest is mentioned that God does? You see, what does it mean when it says that God rests? And the Bible's idea of rest in that way, especially when it refers to God and as it trickles over when it talks about us and our rest, is that rest is always an expression of enjoyment. 
It's the rest that comes when you're able to look at your six days of work and you examine it and to say, you know, that's, I want to enjoy the work of my hands. I want to delight. I want to step back and take a look at it and to enjoy it. Think about it like this. That's one way, but I'll, I want to mention it as well in another. Um, when you read also in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is very important. Uh, resting on the Sabbath day is... Uh, we can't cover everything about what the Sabbath day is and how we're to do it and handle it. That's not really the scope of what I want to talk about tonight. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it's very interesting. It says this. It says, but God says, here it is in Deuteronomy 5.15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath rest carries with it this notion of being freed from oppression. Does that make sense? So you're always meant to, ref- like the idea of Sabbath also comes with it, uh, this idea of being able to reflect on our freedom. And that's very, very important. Let me put it like this. Um, Barbara Taylor, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, she once wrote it like this. And I think it's awesome. She says, the Sabbath is a gift. We are so reluctant to accept that God had to command it. That's good. Now, why is that good? Because all of y'all know the tension and the frustration of thinking about actually having to rest. We're going to look a little bit about that more tonight, but she mentions that. And I'll leave that up on the screen as I tell you a little bit, um, perhaps, about, um, about what this idea of enjoyment, rest is enjoyment, is like. Think of it like this. If you've ever worked on a project for a while, you know what it's like to finish that project. Well, back in the fall in our house, we have this, like, half-bathroom uh, in our garage, and um, the toilet was broken, and I am not handy, okay? And so uh, after several trips to the uh, hardware store, um, I spent about a half day fixing this toilet. And if you know anything about me and my history in my house, you know that I have tried this before on another toilet that cost me $500 to have a stinking plumber have to come out and put a new one in because I broke the thing, okay? Okay. So the fact that I was able to work all day with my hands to fix this toilet that nobody's ever going to use, um, I, I stood back and I went, yeah, baby, yeah. I fixed that daggum toilet. And, I, and like, I feel good about it. It's, my lab- it's me stepping back and enjoying the work of my hands. If you're an artist, if you've ever painted something, or if you've ever composed a musical score, or... For some of you folks out there who are accountants and love spreadsheets and you built that model that finally worked and you're able to say, yeah, baby, that's it. You know what I'm talking about. Okay? And that's what we talk about when we talk about rest. There is this enjoyment component precisely because God gives us rest to slow down and to examine what we, how we work in such a way that we delight in it. And that's very important because most of us think of rest as God's saying, you've got to rest one day in seven. As a way of saying, uh, He is ripping the fun away from me. He just wants me to sit on my bottom all day and not do anything. And that's just precisely not what rest is like. Okay, But I do think this. I do want to ask you a couple questions. Do you have a day, even as a student, where you are able to rest like this? Ready? Here we go. Do you set your schoolwork aside? Yeah, right. I get the giggles. 
I get the giggles. But listen, I was having lunch with a student today, and I was telling him about this. When I was in grad school and seminary, I was learning Greek. I was learning Hebrew. I was working my tail off. I was, it was, the, the, the volume of work was insane. And I remember being exhausted. And my friend, who was a classmate with me, he said, hey, Ryan, well, are, are you, what are you doing for a day off? I was like, what do you mean a day off? And he goes, well, are you setting a day aside where you're just not working, where you're not doing schoolwork? I was like, Kyle, I cannot do that. I have too much work going on. You're in my classes. What are you talking about? And he said, well, listen, I want you to understand, Ryan, that when you take your schoolwork and you set it aside and you lay it on the altar, that it really is an act of worship. That it really is a day where you're saying, oh, Lord, I'm trusting you that what I think that I need seven days for, you're able to help me get it done in six. And that you are so sovereign over my life that if I get a B instead of an A, I'm going to be okay. That you don't grant, and I don't get an A without you first allowing it in the first place. And I can't have a B unless you so ordain that anyways. And so, and do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, Sabbath in some ways, ready? It will expose the idols of your heart. It will expose the little things that you're putting your confidence in and all the little things that, you've tr- that you're trusting in to make you okay. And God invites us to examine that stuff and to say, hey, listen, where do I need to practice this idea of rest as a way of enjoyment? Sabbath resting will certainly will expose what you are trusting in, what you value most. Listen, I've said it like this. If you want to know what people really worship, you ready? Get them to pull out their credit card statements. Get them to pull out their appointment books. And get them to pull out their calendar. And see what's on there. And you'll find out really quick what people worship. It's just the way, I mean, it's the same way with me, okay? But rest, y'all, is a good gift. It's given to us by God for our delight and for our enjoyment. We rest not merely to rest, though we do, but we do so for the purpose of enjoying the labor of our hands, what God has given to us, whatever that might be. Rest as enjoyment. Secondly, this idea of rest as renewal. This really gets at the idea of why, that why we need it. Why do we need rest? Well, it's very, very simple. Ready? It's that you and me are created beings. You and me, are you ready for this? Are limited. You cannot do everything. Do you believe that? You cannot know everything. Do you believe that? You cannot be everywhere at once. Do you believe that? But only God can do those things. Only God knows everything. Only God can be everywhere at once. And only God can, I can't remember the third one, only knows, only can do everything. And I think that's very, very important because what this means is, is that you as a man, you as a woman, were created with real limits. Can you see, can you see what's behind you? No. You weren't made with eyeballs in the back of your head. There are real limits there. And I just think that this is, this is why this is so important. All of us sort of do life thinking that we can, we can expand the limits on our existence. That we really can do everything. You know, if God were to say, look, I'm sorry, you really can only work about 90 hours a week before you're exhausted, and you can only do that for so long. It's like we want to say, no, I can't. I'm cool. I can do that. And you're like, and God's like, what are you talking about? I made you. 
I know how tired you get. I know you're unable to do things that well if you're just going to run yourself into the ground. Think about it physically. I'm talking about uh, this idea of why we need it. Think about um, this even physically as a physical metaphor. Imagine you uh, get sick. You have your appendix taken out. Or you have to have knee surgery. Or you have to have your tonsils taken out or something like that. Okay? If you, it, it, it's silly to think that after you have major surgery... A week later, you're just going to get up and pick up where you've left off. And if you've ever had major surgery, you know how ins- you, you, you can try to push against that, but you will break. You will break. You're not able to keep up. Why? Because you are limited. You are not Superman. You are not Superwoman. And I think that this is why this is so important. Because I think most of what happens on this college campus is people not recognizing the real limits that they have. Some people can say, my life is falling apart, Ryan. I don't know what's going on. I'm exhausted all the time. And I say, what time do you go to bed? Three o'clock in the morning. Why? You don't have any problems. Here's your problem. Sleep. Just go take a nap. Life will be better if you get some sleep. Why? Because you're limited. Well, I can't do that because i got to study. And I go, okay, fine then you need to repent of your great idolatry. you got to see that and own that and say, man, I really do care too much about whatever else it is. I'm just saying, like, we ha- we're limited people. Does that, does, that, does that make sense? you got real limits. You can't be everywhere at once. You cannot do everything. You cannot know everything. And the quicker you understand that, the better off you'll be. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of... Uh, heartache and headache in life, the quicker you're able to see that. So what do I mean then when I say rest and uh, thinking about rest as renewal? Well, I just mean to say this, that God gives us rest as a way to renew who we are, to restore. It's meant to, it's meant to recharge, to give us life back for where we've tried to and where we've lived life at our limits. That's why y'all love spring break. It's why you, I mean, come on. Work with me here. Ready? You finish your last exam for the semester. What's that feeling like? It is amazing, right? You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but it's the best thing in the world. Because you're done. You're done with living life at your limits for the, in the short term. Right? It's meant to restore, to bring back to who we are. And God knows that. And He's saying there are rhythms in our time that are meant to... Here's what I'm trying to say. God knows you're limited even when you don't. Even when you don't believe that you're really limited, God does. And He says, I command you to rest so that you might recharge and that you might be restored. And that's one of these things that's huge in terms of seeing not only that this is spiritual or soulish, but it's physical as well. Don't sleep. Fine. Go get sick. Don't sleep, fine. Be miserable. Don't eat, that's fine. If you want to do that, you're going you're gonna to exhaust yourself. And the Bible's saying you've got limits. You've got limits. Live within them. That's the way you were made to be. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to get out there. Well, let's go on there and lastly and take a look at thirdly what I mean when I say rest as freedom. And I'll go ahead and say this. I am making a shift in some ways from what I've talked about physically. We're talking about physical rest. And it's now sort of moving over to this soulish rest. And what do I mean by this when I say rest as freedom? You see, um, I really do think that 
it is very, very important for us to see that um, we can talk about rest in a way that goes very, very deep with us. Um, and and here's my, here's might be a little bit of what I'm talking about. Why is it that after you take a vacation, something like spring break, or that you can be on spring break in a beautiful location in the world with great friends, and you have a residual sort of check in your gut that I'm still not able to rest. I feel anxious in my spirit. I feel unnerved by life. Why does that exist? It's because we're more than just our physicality. And this is what I'm trying to talk about when I talk about uh, rest as freedom. I think this is huge. Listen, I would like to suggest to you all that all of us live with a deep unrest in our souls, okay, because of our distance between us and God. And therefore, what we tend to do is we look at the outside world, the physical, to try to satiate or to placate, to satisfy that interior uh, unrest in our being, that anxiousness in our being. I mean, think about it like this. What drives a lot of your dis- why you're involved in 10 things? Why? Why do you have to be involved in 10 things at TCU? Here's, here's the common narrative. Well, I've got to be involved in 10 things at TCU so, I can, so my resume can look really, really good because I'm really, really anxious that if I don't have a really good resume, right, or I'm so insecure if I don't have a good resume and I'm not doing all the right things, then, then I'm not going to get looked at by the right employers and then I'm not going to get a good job and then I'm not going to have enough money to ever do life and I'm just going to be a bum for all my days. And, and, and you see where this thing goes? And you end up saying, oh, a lot of the frenetic activity of my life has very little to do with an enjoyment of a task or the delight in the thing that I want to go do. And it's all driven by deep and profound insecurity about who I actually am. Because my soul is not resting. I am anxious in my heart and in my spirit because of something. And what is that? Well, listen. I want to suggest to you that what is at the heart of all of that is very, very simply that we live with a profound sense that we don't measure up. That we don't measure up, especially in the eyes of God. That He looks at us, that we see Him looking at us, and we feel, dare I say it, almost naked. Because of who we are, because of what we've done, because we're not proud of ourselves. And I think this is a great illustration. If you've ever seen the movie that came out in the early 80s that antedates all of you guys, well, maybe except for old Wade back there, um, is, is uh, the movie called Chariots of Fire. It's the story of a really uh, a runner named Eric Liddell and then his competitor, uh, a man named Harold Abrahams. And they're both runners. They're both track uh, stars, really. And when you... When you uh, hear the two of them contrasting the way that they think about running itself, listen to what Harold Abrahams says. You ready? He's being asked, he's saying, hey, what is it like for you when you run that race? You may have heard this before. And he says this, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, that 100-yard dash or whatever it is, four feet wide and ready for this, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. 
But will I? But will I? You see, his entire personhood, his entire soul is resting on whether he will be fast enough. And what is that for you? Is it your grades? Are you really banking your whole existence on a GPA that 10 years from now, nobody's going to care about? Or are you basing it on your work that after a year of being there, you're going to find a lot out about your job that you just don't like, that frustrates you? Or are you going to be the sort of person that says, I'm only somebody if I'm in a relationship with somebody? That I'm nobody if I'm single? Listen, it goes on all the time. I thought that in college. But what happens when you actually are in a relationship? When you actually get the good job? When you actually make a 3-9 or a 4-0? Listen, does it really ever satisfy? Is it ever enough to put your soul at rest? You see, we're striving. We're on the hamster treadmill. And, and it's killing us. And Jesus now invites us in to freedom. How? How? Because listen, all of the ways, all of the ways that we are trying to make ourselves okay with God, to say, I am somebody, look at me, accept me, look at my awesome grades, aren't I lovely? Look at my awesome job, aren't I lovely? Look at the trophy wife that I finally have, aren't I awesome? And we're trying to get God to look at us And what he says is, is listen, none of it, none of it matters. That is not why I look at you. What? What? Then then what hope do I have? I got nothing then. What, What can I bring to the table? And it's right there that you finally begin to understand something about Christianity. Because what Christianity says is this, you bring nothing to the table. All you need is nothing. All you need is need. You see, we don't bring anything to God. Why? Are you ready? Because all that we need, God gives us. The only thing that we need is Jesus. And God gives Jesus to us in His grace. We don't earn it. We don't do anything for it. He hands Jesus over to us and says, take Him. Take Him freely. If y'all were perfect, if there was a way to get God to see us and to love us apart from Jesus, then do you realize how offensive that would be to God to send His Son to die for us, to shed His blood for us, and to say, that's not really necessary? You see, what God is saying is, is, no, I have provided you a way, and that is in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus Himself says. Come to Me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and ready, and you will find rest for your souls. Don't you want soul rest as a TCU student? Don't you want to be able to go into chemistry and say my whole existence doesn't depend on this class? Don't you want to know that if you don't end up being a doctor or if you don't end up getting that perfect job in New York City in the fashion industry or in the banking industry that life really will be okay? Like, don't you want to know that? 
Don't you want to know that if you end up not getting married to that person, whoever it is, or not going out on date with him, that life really will be just fine? That's what God is saying to us. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says, and find rest for your souls. How are we to uh, understand this? Well, I think, and this is where we're going to begin closing down, that one of the things that I have seen to be most interesting has been uh, the, uh, the phenomenon of quicksand. You say, quicksand? What are you talking about? Well, listen, I am amazed at the way that you actually get out of quicksand. You see, in quicksand, if you're ever stuck in it, you might think, quick, i got to hurry. I better start getting my legs out quickly because I'm going down. And the problem is, with quicksand, is the more that you move, what happens? The more of a negative pressure you create, the more suction you create, and the more sunken in that you get. Now, here's the good news. I learned about this, that uh, quicksand is twice as dense as the human body, so the furthest you're ever going to go in is about to your waist, okay? So you're, you're all good. You're all good, okay? But for the sake of my illustration, dadgummit, let me have it, is this. The way you get out of quicksand, you know how you do it? You rest. You stop. You lay back like you're ready to take a nap. And once you're on the surface, you can slowly with your little fingers paddle off to wherever you want to go. (laughs) And life is good again. But that's the principle, right? Listen, you think work hard, that's where my salvation lies. And the gospel comes in and says this, no, you have to stop. It's in repentance and in rest that you will see your salvation, Isaiah says. Listen, unless you begin to understand that, you'll never understand what the Christian life is like and you'll never understand what it means to actually be a Christian because you're going to continually strive to get God to look at you by your accomplishments and by what you're doing. And God is saying, you want me to look at you? Rest. Trust in me. Trust in the gift that I give to you in the person of Jesus. And that's what makes us all good. One last story, and then I'll wind down. Uh, a man by the name of Robert Rayburn, he happened to be the founder, founding president of the seminary that I was at. Uh, he uh, tells the story. He's long gone now, but he was a, uh, he was a one-time chaplain uh, for the army in the Korean War. And he tells the story about how he was older, and he had been called up into active duty, and he left his family behind. He found himself deployed, and he was going to be working with this group of paratroopers. Now, he had never jumped out of an airplane in his life, but he was assured that once he got on the field, there would be tons of practice for him. Until one day, about two days into his, his deployment, a sergeant came to him and said, Rayburn, tonight we're going in behind enemy lines. You need to be able to jump and be ready. And he's like, I've never jumped out of a plane before in my life. And so what did he begin to do? He began to pray. He began to say uh, over and over again, he began to say, uh, God, help me. Help me to not dishonor you. He said, I was sick at my stomach, but I began to just pray, God, help me. Give me no fear, for you are with me. The truth stuck with him. Jesus is with me. Well, listen, this is amazing. The next thing he knows, a sergeant is poking him as he's on the plane, and he's saying, Chaplain, Chaplain, wake up. Wake up. It's time to jump. He'd been asleep for over two hours. In the months that followed for him in Korea, days and days after that, men in the regiment would approach him and say, Chaplain, we heard from men on your plane that you were sound asleep flying into the drop zone 
How in the world could you sleep? And he said this, that many of the paratroopers in his regiment ended up coming to faith in time, in a place, in circumstances that were fraught with anxious fear. He stood out. He looked odd. He made people stop and ask, how could you be like that? And you know why? All because he fell asleep. Jumping out of an airplane into enemy territory in the middle of the war, uh, that's a pretty intense set of circumstances, right? Well, what would it look like for you and me to be in a set of circumstances where you, you, you could make a radical impact by doing one thing, stopping, by stopping? How will you ever have the power to do it? Because here's why. Do you realize it's already been stopped for you? The last words that Jesus uttered when He was on the cross were what? It is finished. What is finished? All of the spiritual striving, all of the good work, all of the good labors that you have to do for God, Jesus cries out, it's done. I have fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf for you. You can rest now. You can rest. And when you begin to see that, a biology class turns back into a biology class. A date turns back into a date and not the rest of your existence. A job, come or go. It comes or goes. And life's okay. Because why? Because you have the love of a Savior. And that is the only thing you really ever need to put your soul at ease. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you give us this rest that we have spoken of. Would you help us to go further up and further in to it, that we might know joy, that we might know renewal, and that, Lord, that we might be set free to finally, finally live as you're calling us to live. We need that, O Lord. That's our only hope and our only power to do it. And so we ask this all in your name. Thank you for winning our rest, we pray. Amen.